Hi there, thanks for joining us and welcome to this week's High Performance Podcast. Can I just start with a thank you for the reviews that have been coming in for the pod? They're really important to us because it is just instant feedback for what we're doing. And I've got one here from Dave who said, wow, in complete awe of this guy. Thought-provoking, inspirational and humbling. Fabulous series, guys. Thank you. He was talking about the Marcelino Sambay interview. If you've not listened to that yet, please go back and find it. Um, and Nedisay via Apple Podcasts in Australia, no less, said the perfect blend of theory and practice behind high performance and the guests are genuinely insightful and inspirational. Well, Nedisay for you and for everybody else, there's more of that on its way in this week's episode. I think over the years, if I'm honest with you, my dad beat me to a pulp two or three times a week. And I never learned, but what that did, I remember going to bed, wanting to die when I'm eight, nine, ten, and I thought, if ever I have kids, they're never going to feel this way. So it made me a better dad. We're so excited for you to hear this one. Just a quick reminder that you can follow High Performance on Instagram. You can also check out our YouTube channel, which is the High Performance Podcast on YouTube. Let's do it then. It's time for this week's eye-opening High Performance Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there, I'm Jake Comfrey. You're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs, and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. As ever, I'm not alone. Our resident professor and author, Damien Hughes, is with us. Damien, we're back in your hometown to speak to a man who I think pretty much sums up high performance, right? Yeah, very much. This is somebody that embodies this phrase, tough love. Um, I think it's somebody that is able to uphold really high standards, but still create a family atmosphere around the people that he supports and helps. So I'm really excited about today's podcast. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to learning plenty. So let's get to it then. And we're really proud to welcome to the pod a man who played rugby league at the highest level, but it's as a coach that he really excelled. Winning almost 70% of his games in charge of Wigan Warriors is a remarkable feat. The fact he did it over a seven-year period and enjoyed constant success is rare and it's remarkable. It was down to relentless winning behaviours, but what were they? We're going to find out very shortly because he now joins us, having been given the honour of becoming the next head coach of the England Rugby League team. Welcome to the podcast, Sean Wayne. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. So look, people talk about high performance. Everyone seems to have a different answer to this question, so I'm, I'm interested what yours is. In your mind, what is high performance? 
I, I would say what has worked for me, to be honest, Jake, was um, looking after the detail. The, the, the detail is the key, and that's detail in behaviours off the field and on the field. But being relentless in, in delivering them, you know, so we would be strict on certain things on how we play the week before the gun final at the end of the season. So we wouldn't we wouldn't ease off toward the end. So our standards were, you know, looking after the coach, cleaning the changing room, being respectful to people, and then the detail on the field and uh, was the key to it, was being relentless with it. And the reason why I'm pointing there, because we always seem to finish here at Old Trafford in the, you know, for the grand final. But we will be exactly the same at the end of the year and as what we would in, in pre-season. And what I thought was interesting, Damien, when I came to you at the very start to, you know, to, to get your sort of opening line, you didn't say, oh, it's a guy that won everything and it's a guy who lifted trophies and a guy who had victory after victory. You went straight into the kind of father figure type role that Sean obviously played. So it's a reminder that high performance is not just about pushing people to their limits to get the best out of them. It's about improving them as well. Yeah, very much. And I, my, I'm lucky enough. I've known Sean. Um, and I know that people that have played for him speak really highly about him as a person, as much as a coach. So those standards he describes both on the field, but they speak about him as a person off the field and the care and attention to detail that he gave them. And I think it's that consistency then that really fascinates. One of my favourite definitions of high performance is the gap between your best and worst performance is narrower than everybody else's. Yeah. So how did you establish these standards? I find that quite easy, Damien. It was being very, very clear on what you expect. So, you know, I've, 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 I've speak to a lot of coaches and a lot of people in business and, and they seem to wait for people to make mistakes and then jump all over them. And I always remember as a, as a player... I played at Wigan for nine and a half years. And then I got a call saying, we're going to let you go. We're going to, Leeds have made an offer and we want you to go. And uh, and I said, why? And he said, well, our coach, John Money, doesn't rate you. And I, and I thought to myself, I wanted to know that six months ago so I could fix it. And, and I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay at Wigan, my hometown club. And I left it. And I always remembered whenever, if I ever got a chance to coach, tell everybody everything all the information, what you expect, are you happy, are you not? And and that is the key. You know, make sure the players understand about your standards and behaviours off the field. And the same when you play. You know, the descriptions of how you play, are your title. Repetition, practice, perfect practice is, is the key. So I think it's that information. Tell everybody everything. And then... It's not a shock to them when you're delivering good news or bad news. I've let players go, as in they leave our club. But they know it's coming. They, they know they can't get to the level which I want. And, they, you know, I, I'm still I'm great at speaking terms to many players who I've parted terms with over the years. And that's because I've always been really, really open when I'm happy and when I'm not happy. People that have listened to this pod regularly will, will hear us often talk about fault versus responsibility. And what I love hearing you talk there is that instead of looking for someone to make a mistake and blaming them for the error, it almost feels to me like you're the one taking responsibility. So if a player doesn't deliver, of course you need to speak to them. But I think you are almost thinking, right, that is my fault. As his, as his manager, as his coach, the fact he's done that means I maybe haven't done my job well enough to tell him what I want. That is 100% it, because I feel it's my job and my sister's job and my analyst's job 
to make sure that everybody knows exactly what we want. And if they're not doing it, so if we play a game, win or lose, we have a coaching meeting straight after the game and it's, have we done everything we can? Why have they not done what we practised? And we look at it, it's us, it's, you know, it's me first and then what have we done in the week? And so we never, ever had a blame culture, ever. But it was really important to me and the staff that every time we drove down to a game, my team were prepared. We knew how to win that game. And that's through hard work, relentless watching clips, two o'clock phone calls, you know, that sort of thing, that that attitude to making sure your team prepared in order to win. So what do you do? Because Damien spoke about this sort of father figure that you had at the club. What do you do if you put your arm around a player, get to know the player, tell the player what you expect, tell the player again and again and again, and it still it still isn't going in. What What's it then? Do you cut them off, get rid? Yep, yeah. So but they get a lot of chance. So if I'm not happy with what you're doing, Jake, you come in my office, I'd show you footage of it being whatever it is, I'm being done well. This is what I want you to do. So me personally, I'll go out with you after training and we'll work on that specific thing. In games, I'll give you goals. This is what I want you to do. In detail, tip him up before games and then we'll look at it the week after. You're still not doing it. Have a look at what you're doing. Work with him again and that will carry on. Till at the end, the amount of conversations I've had with players when I've said, what do you think? And they've said, I can't do it. What you're asking me to do? What's the next step? Well, I need to go. So they um, almost come to that conclusion, yeah, the player. Yeah. yeah. Or else, if I'm leaving them at the team, the amount of players, what I've said at the end, I shouldn't be playing this week. I'm not, I'm not doing what you want. And that was just continual feedback. And when, when I do a lot of speaking with corporates, big, big businesses, and, um, and they've explained to me the problems they're having within the business. And I just said to them, have you, to- have you told them that? Have you showed them what is the perfect way, what you want? The fact is they've not. Mm. Or they would do for a month and then leave Why it. Why is that, do you think? People are scared of, of confrontation. I love confrontation because I feel you want to know. You, want, you don't want me sacking you. you. You want me to know. You want to know that I'm not happy with the way you're playing, Jake. This is how we're going to fix it together. And when you do, you get loads of prayers. But if you can't, we're parting ways. But you, you want to know. You don't want one day coming me off and saying, right, you're going. And that never happened. Because I think it's a weak way out. You know, the way to do it is be honest, be straight, cur, you know, cur for them. Because that player is going home to his family and kids and wife. And, you know, I want him to have a good laugh. But he needs to know where he stands. See, what fascinates me there, though, Sean, is that those standards that you're describing, the honesty and the, and, and, and the candour and the feedback, where did you learn that? Because I know that you had quite a tough start to your life as well. So to learn some of those lessons really interests me of yeah. when that happened. There's not many questions I can't answer, but that is one, because um, I don't have any good memories. I only have bad memories of being a kid. I left home when I was 15. And I mean no good memories, only really bad ones. And then I left home, went living with my girlfriend, who I'm now married to, and she and kids, and been married 30 years. She was very, very good on driving us, buying a house in a place in Wigan, which I thought was miles away, but it's only actually five minutes away to Wigan. You know, she's had an influence on me. But I think over the years, if I'm honest with you, 
My dad beat me to a pulp two or three times a week. And I never learned. But what that did, I remember going to bed, wanting to die when I'm eight, nine, ten. And I thought, if ever I have kids, they're never going to feel this way. So it made me a better dad. You know, so when, when Wigan got rid of me, I thought to myself, if ever I coach, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to have a player feeling this way. I'm going to tell him everything so he knows what's coming. So I think I've learned, you know, I've learned how to be a better dad. My kids, I've never laid a finger on them. We have a great relationship, you know. So I've, I've learned through, you know, I had a coach at Wigan who bullied me, tried to bully me. And I wouldn't back down from anybody, but he tried it. And I remember thinking, I will never, ever have a player feeling the same way as you're making me feel now. Right. And uh, so I've learned not to do things quite a bit. As much as that is one of the saddest things I've ever heard anyone say, because we're all parents here, and to, to imagine your child would ever say that is it's heartbreaking, isn't mm. it? But I wonder whether that, as you sort of alluded to there, whether that is the energy source for you to be not just a father to your kids, but to all these players as well, to improve their lives, to educate them, to help them, to 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 carry them with you and and to kind of make amends, I suppose, for what you went through. That is That feels to me like the, the energy behind your career almost. Yeah, it could be. It, I, to be honest, Jake, I don't know. I'm just very passionate about it. I'm very passionate about being straight with people, being honest. I'm passionate about, very, very passionate about players having a good laugh when they've finished. Mm. You know, so I want to see Sean O'Loughlin in 20 years' time when I'm not coaching, he's not playing, and he owns his house and he's got a good business and that that satisfies me. You know, the thought that a player... And I'm still speaking to players now, but I'm, I'm not the coach anymore. But we still speak every day about business and buying houses and and I have a lot of contacts. It sounds the, like you're now a dad to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it feels that way. But it makes me feel good, you know. Wow. That's really powerful. And what I'd I'd like to explore, if you don't mind, Sean, is something around your journey to be a head coach, because there's a little bit about where you had to gamble on yourself at that stage. Would you just share a bit about that? Yeah. So I I was, from 2000 to 2010, I was working in Manchester. I finished playing. I was working for Tarmac as a KK manager, wanting to be the best. Um, And then coaching the kids at Wigan. In the evening and weekends. In the evening, weekends. So I was doing about 120 hours a week. I had kids then. Well, I've still got kids, but I had kids living at home. So my my day was leaving half five, six, getting to Manchester, working really, really hard. And at dinner time, get my laptop out. I clipped stuff for my under 18s or whoever I was coaching. I was on two grand a year doing that. Um, taxed. Sorry, two grand a day or two grand a week? Yeah. Two grand. yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then dinner time and then work wow. again for Tarmac because I wanted to be the best. I wanted yeah. I wanted us to get the best market share. There were three companies in Manchester then. I wanted us to get the most. And, uh, and then get back to Wigan, train the players on my own. I had no assistance, washing kits. And and then I'd get home and then click training, have my tea, go to bed. So I was doing 100, 120 hours a week for 10 years, decade. Wow. And then in 2010, I got offered a job to be the assistant to Mike McGuire. And the assistant in... in and this in, was at Wigan. Yeah. Wigan. Yeah. The assistant job is not well paid. So I was doing quite well with Charmack then. And I had to, to take the job out to lose two thirds of my salary. So I went home to Lorraine and said, listen, I've got this chance of a job. I want, I really badly want to do it, but I'm losing two thirds of my salary. I had a mortgage then. 
And um, and she said, yeah, go for it. You, you will get to say, cool, shop. And I said, yeah. And then that's decent money. Then. And, uh, and two years later, I got, I got a job. What I wanted to explore there, Sean, is that, that we get people listening to this podcast that maybe have a dream of running a business or going out on their own or pursuing a career. And yet they're in, they've got responsibilities like you had. They've got children, they've got mortgages to pay. Yeah. And it's often that idea of they have responsibilities that mean that they almost have to put those dreams on hold. Yeah. How did you make that leap from being prepared to lose two thirds of your salary to pursue this dream? What was it that propelled you? I knew I could do it. I knew there'd be nobody what could work as hard as me. And I knew if I got the head coach job, I'd kill it. And I don't want that to sound arrogant. Um, but I was really, really confident that my, my work ethic and my beliefs on how we play and how we behave, I knew we'd do well. So it was quite easy for me that. It was uh, making making that decision. And, and that's what I've looked at throughout my life. I've, I've just thought about when I left home when I was 15, all my mates went to prison. Some of them are still in. So I had a choice. Am I going to be one of them what sulks and makes an excuse about how my dad treated me and get in trouble? I wasn't going to do something. And I wanted to do something. I wanted to be different. I wanted to win something. I wanted to play for Wigan. But I tell you now, I was that far off. It's untrue. Being a player from where I come from. Some of the things I did when I was a kid was terrible. Like what? Bad things, you know, breaking in places and right, just shocking things. And that's why I got beaten by my dad because I was doing things wrong, you know. So, um, so I was that far off playing for Wigan. It was untrue, but I loved rugby. It's all I did. I'd have six, eight weeks not going to school, but to play rugby, I, I loved it, and that was my release. So, when somebody says to me something's impossible, I know. If anything's possible because I can't tell you how far away I was from playing for Wigan and then to carry on a coach Wigan. It's unbelievable how far I was away. But I managed to do it through a bit of luck, meeting the right girl, work ethic, and the decisions I had and I chose them. Stuff happens to you, Damien. And you've got a choice of, I'm going to take that route, feel sorry for myself, I'm going to take that route, work hard, and you know, walk out here, leave my team out here. And uh, and that's that's what I've done. I think that's such a brilliant message for people because we all know people who are waiting for the perfect time in their life to do something. Yeah. I and mean, I can think of five or six of my friends now who are not living the life they want. But whenever I speak to them about it, they say, yeah, but I'm just waiting for like the next couple of years or I'm just waiting for this to happen. But they're my age. They're in their 40s. Well, we've been having that conversation for 20 years. Yeah. And I do think that you get one life you might get 80 years if you're lucky. Most of us are either halfway through or beyond halfway. So you, at one point, you've got to just start doing what you want to do, not waiting for the time to be right. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want, I don't want this to sound depressing, but you, know, you look at the average lifespan of a human, like 79 years, 29,000 days. Yeah. It, you know, why would you waste a day? How old are you now? I'm 55. So let's say 79 is the average, you're 55 now, that gives you what, my mass, 24 years, right? Yeah. So you're well beyond halfway. Do you, do you then say, right, that is even more of a reason to get up tomorrow and make it count? Absolutely. Yeah. When, I'm, when I'm doing this, when I'm speaking to corporates, I talk about not wasting days, don't spend days with sappers, 
spend your time with people who think a bit like you, forward thinking, what's next? I've got two girls and I've brought them up that way. Never be happy. How do you do that? Like, there's people listening to this going, I say there's two people in life, fountains or drains, right? Mm. If you find yourself surrounded by drains and they are draining you, it's not easy to get rid of those people. What's your advice? It's very, very easy for me um, because I am very, I know where I'm going. And, um, and every day during this lockdown, this is a tough period without a shadow of a doubt. But I've taught myself on every day I go to bed, I'm, I'm going to be a better coach, better dad, better person. So I read a lot and, you know, I, I just, if, if I get torn to somebody and I can tell that they're a sapper, I just don't stay with them. I just, I'm just a bit, not rude, but I just, I can tell within a couple of seconds of meeting somebody what sort of person they are. So it, it's, it was very, very easy to me. And I said that to my kids, you know, never be happy. And my, my wife didn't always agree with that. She, you know, why would you spend all that? I've never been happy. I am totally teased with that. I think it's a great, way of thinking about life. Would you clarify that though, Sean? So I said to my, my girls, they're very much into promotions and earning more. And I think it's a great way. That's where I think, what's next? And, um, you know, so I don't want them to go around patting themselves on the back and being happy, I live in this house. What's your next big house and what's your aspirations and what's going to make you work hard and get better every day? And, uh, and it's me and my two daughters. My wife doesn't always agree with it. But it's what I've instilled in them. You know, I'm totally teased with it. I never wanted to walk off after a win. Do you know this is true? We win a grand final. That's the end of our season. We've got two months off. And then the day after, I'm going having a drink with all the players. It's called Mad Monday, but it's on a Sunday. I, don't, I never got that. So I'd sit there with the players and enjoy myself. We've just got a bonus. We've just won a grand final. And I'd be thinking, Warrington scored yesterday. How did they score that try? Even though we won, and it would just upset me a bit. Thinking, you know, and I'd be thinking about pre-season then. Why did Warrington score? So it was never, ever walking around, patting yourself on the back. You're finished. You're at your best. It was always, you know, make up better. And I had that tattoo put on me when I had a few drinks. And that's just Kazan means make up better, never being happy. So nobody can tell me it's quite sad that you're never going to be happy. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I did some work for a bank, and I was talking to a guy who was 45, never gets his bonus. He's just waiting to retire. Was his words for me? I'm just waiting to retire now, Sean. And I said to him, "Are you going to Are you going to waste 20 years of your life until you retire to get your pension every day?" You can't wait for Fridays in your eight Sundays. I feel like saying, mate, just have, get some... See, what you're describing there, the Japanese have the term, the Kaizen for yeah. it, this idea of continuous yeah, improvement. The, that phrase that yeah. you've got tattooed on you. Would you describe the coach you are today from when you started, when you took that leap and you became a head coach after Maguire had left? Yeah. Again? What would you say has been the biggest improvement you've made? Um, that's a good question. I never, ever ever set out with a I want to do this I want to play this way I want to when we're training this is the session I want and this is the way I want to be it, it was just very very easy for me to be very open with the players you know I can walk in an hotel if we're playing in London and I can listen to George Williams speaking to the receptionist 
and Ian Mark said, please and thank you. And that receptionist is happy. Um, and, and, and I get him at dinner saying, I, I heard you, your manners were really good with that moment on reception. And he'd be like, why are you listening to what I'm saying? You know, but I just wanted him to improve as a player. So I never really set out to, with, with a way of, of doing, being the way I am. But I'd say the biggest change now, Damien, is that I 100% know what I'm about. When you start coaching, it's a bit sucking and see, and you're not really sure. No, I'm very, very comfortable of delivering the session, behaviours of, of my players. You know, I, I would drive home from Wigan, eight o'clock at night, the last one out of the club, and I would see a player who I wasn't really happy with, not playing-wise, but something didn't feel right, and I'd call for a cup of tea on the way home. You know, I've been with them all day, but unexpected, uninvited. But just to make sure that it was okay. And, uh, and, and I've had a few times where I've seen things in houses where he's got a problem, you know. So, And then 10 years later, that player will say to me, I know, I know, why, I know why you couldn't be house. And they appreciate it. But I didn't, I didn't do it because I thought it was the right thing. That is the, the most important thing. I genuinely cared about him. And quite often you're working with players who are maybe a bit like you have come from the wrong side of the tracks. They might have a difficult upbringing. Certainly in the world of rugby league, you're not taking affluent, the majority are not affluent, yeah. privately educated young men, are they? No, definitely not. So even, even when they're with you and they're in their mid-twenties, you're still very much sort of operating like a parent. When you talk about listening to the way that they speak to people in public, like my kids who are four and seven, I'm doing exactly that. If I think there's something not right with my seven-year-old daughter, I'll let her go to her bedroom, but then I'll just go up and just have a quiet little chat with her. Yeah. So it is very much that sort of parenting role. If you went to a player's house and something wasn't quite right, what's your approach then? Because it's one thing is realising it, but it's not always an easy conversation. It's not, but if I felt comfortable enough to say, is everything okay? Yeah. Or else the day after. So just so I don't, I don't embarrass his wife, I get the player in and, man, I didn't feel right about last night. What, is, is everything okay? Because I can help you. I was very, very strict. So we start, we train all day. We don't finish early. We train very, very hard. We lift weights. Your listening video is very, very intense. But if you have a problem, I'll, I adore my kids. I'm a family man. So I, I do understand that, that's your most important thing. So no matter what, if you need to go home, Jake, to your family, to your kids, you go home. But when we're in work, we're in, you know, and the players understood that. They understood that even though it, 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 we're on it at work and it's very much pressure. The clarity was important. Yeah, the clarity definitely was so important. But they knew I was on their side. I was on their side. It was, I wanted them to have good laughs. But when we're in work, there's a, an attitude I want you to have. Can I just go back to you talking about the happy thing and being really comfortable with never being happy? Yeah. What is wrong with having that relentlessness, having that desire for constant improvement, but after you win a grand final, sitting down, having a beer, and having 10 minutes to reflect and go, yeah, you know what? You've done a really good job. Enjoy the moment, live in the moment. What, what's wrong with doing that, even for a short period? Yeah, nothing wrong, nothing. But I'll be thinking about pre-season, and then thinking about, there's not many people know this, but when we play grand final year, we go to an hotel in Manchester and me, the CEO, and made a performance about Bitcoin, whatever, the night before the game, I would sit down with them and I'd say, right, how do we 100%, 100% get 
guarantee we're going to get here next year and we're going to win. So let him play it. We talk about then letting players go who's playing the night after in a grand, in a grand final. Let, who do we need to bring in? Who do we need to let go? What do we need to change at the training, training ground? Of our injuries so, been. so this is the night before the grand final? Yeah. So you're already moving your mindset. Because I think a lot of coaches would say, right, I am 100% focused on tomorrow, the, the next step on the journey. Whereas you're already talking here about having a four or five month window where you're looking at changing players over the, over the shutdown. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. You know, long term, me and the CEO talked about five years. You know, I, I, had, I had a desire to dominate the competition and win all three things for five years and 10 years, try and put things in place. Um, so I love the fact that we was talking the night before this game about how do we underpresent guarantee we're going to get here. Made, and we made some really, really tough decisions around that table that night. And we did it every time we got to Old Trafford. So I hear stories about other clubs going and they're having a meal and a glass of wine and everything's relaxed and they're happy to get there. And we, we was, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be smart here. This is a fact. You can ask Chris Rodlinski. This is what we did every year. Wow. See, one of the things that I've, I've long admired about you, Sean, is there was a game once where you played at Wakefield. Do you yeah. remember? And I think you shipped a record number yeah. of, of points in a, in a defeat. And I always thought that the way you handled that huge loss spoke more about your character than the example that you yeah. offered there about the forward planning the night yeah. before a grand final. Do you want to explain a bit more about that? Because I thought that was a real window into the person that you are. Yeah, that, that day brought me out. That. It was a day we played at Wayfield and an illness had gone through our club. We nearly had to call the game off, which is unheard of. And we lost 62-0. So we, went, we, we turned up at Wayfield and all my staff was ill. All the players were ill. I weren't because I don't get ill. And then I knew before the game and I said to me, CEO, I said, we're, we're going to get pumped here. We're going to get beat 30 0. We're in trouble. And then when they come in for the warm up, I looked at my players, Tony Club, who's a real tough character, and he, he was gone, white, ill. So I've never had flu, but they, it was like a real bad illness. And they was exhausted. And they went out and played a game of rugby, which is the most brutal of sports. So after the game, we got beat 62 0. I've never been beaten like that in my life ever. But I knew there was a reason for it. So we come in after the game and I said, this game will never be mentioned again. It, I'll never review it. I'm going to give you time off with your families. Days, four days off. Relax, sleep. And, and the players were ecstatic, loved it. And, and they come back and I think we won the comp that year. Yeah, yeah, you did. You but did. I think but publicly as well, the public face that you presented after that game wasn't making excuses, wasn't no. taking anything away from the opposition that had done it. And this is a powerful thing that I wanted to explore about, that people remember um, how you handle success, but equally how you handle adversity. And I thought there was a consistency in your approach yeah. at both of those moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, fair play to Wayfield. They beat us. They, they, they put sixty-three points past us when nobody's ever done that before. So there's no way was I uh, diminishing what they've done, what they've what they've achieved. You know, they play well, but privately with my players, I was on their side. I get it. I understand. I, there's no team would put sixty-three points past one of our teams, and I get the reasons why. So it was not making excuses publicly. 
but privately supporting the players and making sure they get the time off to make sure that. And it took us weeks to get over that game because it, it just wiped us out. So what is your advice to people listening to this pod who revel in success, love being successful, they're driven to live a great life, but dealing with failure is a real issue for them? You know, we've lost grand finals, we've lost games, and, and it hurts. I, I am probably the world's worst loser, but you look at every single defeat and there's always something, ways of making sure that doesn't happen again. And, you know, why, why did we lose the game? But always making sure the first person you look at is yourself. Mm. What what have I done? And then and then spreading it out and, and finding self reflection is not easy for a lot of people though, Sean. That's it has to be it, showing that humbleness. I, I I would I would gladly go through video and show me players. I've got thirty players there who want to learn something, and I'm showing them how St. Helens playing. This is how we're going to beat them. And then if I had a player like Sean O'Loughlin say something to me, I, I don't agree with that way. I think we should change that, and I would make a decision. And I, I I wanted him to do that, it, it, having that humility, that humbleness. Sean O'Loughlin is massively more be- better than I ever was a player. So why do I not listen? I've got some great players in my team. So having that humbleness and humility to say, I don't know it all, let's do it all together. Um, having that self-reflection. I've walked in after games and said, I got it wrong at halftime. The information that I give you was wrong. Mm. I'll never do it again. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, I think it's a really important quality of leadership, that, because I think quite often people are in a lead, leadership position and almost the biggest, the biggest thing to admit is that they might not have the answer to something. And yeah. all too often, people who are in that position of power, they don't even dare say, look, guys, I, I don't have the answer to this. I, w- I wonder whether any of you do. And sometimes admitting what you don't know is far more valuable and important to the team around you than admitting what you do know. But can you imagine the buying you get from your players by doing that? Yeah. I've done it. I've done that many times. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something which I did a lot is I knew what I wanted, but I've shown clips and said, but what do you think here? Wanting them to come out with the things I'm thinking. You know, I know what I want from that situation and they've said it and because it comes from them, it's a bit more powerful and your buying's better and, you know, so it's... Uh, That's often referred to then, Sean, in coaching as like that guided discovery that you know where you want to get to and you're going to help them to guide your way there. Did you start that or was that something that you learned after you were a head coach? It's something which I've learned over the years, which I've become more comfortable with. When I first started coaching, when I was in my 20s, I was same as everybody else, drill. And I'm going to give you on from it, all that. But over the years, I've just learned to be very comfortable in what I do and how I deliver it. And I don't know the answer to this. You're much better than me. Tell me what you think. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Take me into a dressing room at halftime with you then where your yeah. players have come in, they're tired and they're exhausted. What would you say is the optimum amount of time that you would be speaking to those players and giving them instruction? Very, very short. Not long. A the minute, one, two minutes? Three minutes, two and a half minutes, but the most. The most important thing is hydrated. So the first thing is everybody quiet. Have a minute, get your breath, get hydrated. So all my physios go in, all my assistants go in, get the players, and that's what they were told to do. I want the players hydrated as much as they can. And then it will be me. We, we, we have a, a real detailed game plan, but we drill it down to two or three points, key points. Very, very simple. Lots of information early in the week, and we just make it really small. So your focus towards near the game was really was tiny. And then my job then at halftime was, is it working? Are we doing what we said we would do? I would normally have the points on the wall. So are we doing what we said? And is it working? And then the player might say, I don't think it's working. Well, let's change it. At the end of the day, I want to win that game. So I'm not bothered who comes up with it. If you're in our dressing room and you come up with a fantastic comment, I'm taking it on because I want one thing and that's win that game. So when the players come up with it, the physio, I don't give I don't give a damn who it is. It will be very, very open, very, very clear. And the players know, they know me. And they know the one thing I'm obsessed about, you winning. So now that you've taken over the national coach's yeah. role, where these you will have players that don't know you, that aren't yeah. as familiar with your style and your approach, how are you going to speed that process up to accelerate that that comfort that they can challenge, they can disagree. The one thing which this has brought out for me, Damien, is Zoom, teams meetings. So I'm doing that a lot with different pockets of players and I'm just giving them loads of information. So I'll show them footage, what they can see, or show me screen in Australia, and I'll talk over this footage and then I can see the players' pictures at the bottom of the screen and I can see them smirking. But I've said things. I imagine they're thinking, I know why now we can play the way they play because I'm just talking through games. So I'm just doing a lot, a lot of that, whereas um, loads of Zoom meetings, loads of contact with the players. And it's the future because when we're back to normal and we'll be very soon, what a way for me to speak to James Graham in Australia and Luke Thompson in St. Helens and Scott Taylor in all just send out a Zoom meeting, show them loads of footage. So it's going to be continuous. And we're recording this during the coronavirus shutdown, so you haven't even had a chance to be in person with your England players yet since since you got the job. Congratulations, by the way. The culmination of relentless hard work and not a lot of happiness over many yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
What's the first message that you want to give them when you get together? I mean, there might be a few listening to this, so they might get it early, but how do you want to impose upon them what you are, what the team will stand for? I am very different to what they've had before. There's no question about that. I know what, I've been a coach when I've let players go to England and Great Britain. So it's very, very different. There's, there's, there's things which are, I owe very, very um, important, which they've not had before. So it's making sure their messages about behaviours, standards, behaviours in camp, how we're going to play. So they, they had a playbook, which was huge. So we've got players for less amount of time because we're international. And we're giving them more things to work on. So it didn't make sense. So over these past few weeks, me and my assistants have just been relentless in watching games. And we've come up to a few, two or three absolutely key points what's going to win test matches. And everything uh, is fed back to the players. So when they play for the Super League team, them points, what we've given them, if you want to be an England player, you need to do this. There's a, there's a brilliant book by Bob Iger, who's the CEO of the Disney company until, until recently. And in it, he talks about one of his superpowers is an absolute rock-solid belief in the decisions that he's making so that if anyone tries to pick a hole in any part of it, he can answer them. And he thinks that all too often, perhaps people try and make a decision which is going to please everyone around them. And then when they get questioned on it and they don't really believe the decision they've made, that's when it all falls apart. So I wonder whether when you're stepping into a dressing room of players you've not worked with before, players who've had years of a different coach, players who are used to a different setup, do you compromise your approach in any way or do you just stick to the absolute rock solid belief your own superpower that you know that the way you operate will win there's a few simple principles which I won't bend on it's non-negotiable can you tell us what those well it's just things in your behaviours and standards and you know there's detail in how we're playing but I'm coaching the best players in our our game our country so it would be foolish of me not to listen to them and not to adapt to where we're playing. But there's a few real simple things. And what I, what I have learned over the years in uh, organisations, whether it's sport and a business, is the stronger the organisation, the better they do the simple, the real simple basic things. And by that, I mean, for a rugby team, it's your core skill. You, you, you catch and pass your contact. And them real simple basics, but done under pressure. Your behaviours, your standards, beliefs on what it's about. I've, I've always like done, done at a pyramid where that thick bottom layer is just simple things. And it's the same playing for England. I, I want them simple things done really, really well. You look at games, test matches, World Cup finals, where teams have turned the ball over. The simple core skill errors. So don't tell me it's not important. So what, what I see corporate organisations who are not travelling well, they don't answer the phone well, they don't turn up to meetings on time. It's them simple, basic things. And they want this bell, bells and whistles, flashy performance here, but they've not... And you the think answering the phone right and speaking to a receptionist well is going to win games of rugby? Everything. Turn up on time, have the right kit on, eat well, say thank you to the chef get on the field on time. When I say we're starting, we're starting, you're prepared, you've looked after yourself at all, everything. How is this going to help in 2021? We're going to try and win, or England are going to try and win a World Cup that they haven't managed since 1972. How is this going to help build that belief that we're capable of, of winning it for the first time in 40 odd years? 
The reason for this meeting here, Damien, is I have footage of Australia, New Zealand, Tonga defending and attacking. And I was going to inform the players of when they defend like this, we attack like this. When they attack like this, we defend like this. And you will really disrupt them. Because what I believe is when a team's playing against us, when they're feeling good and they're confident, how can we stop it? So when the team's defending and they're really confident in how they defend, how can we change the way they defend? So if a, if a team defends from touchline to touchline, the spacings are wide, we go short passing, go through them, yeah. make them tighten up, so change things. And uh, so it's, it's, it's just that information, giving them, saying, this is how Australia defend. I want them players driving home, pulling onto the drives at night, thinking, we're going to beat them. I, I know, I believe in what he's saying, them players will get Australia. We will score. That try they scored against, against New Zealand, they will score against us because he's just told us a way how we can stop it. So it's just building that belief and, and giving them evidence that, is, evidence. that we're this capable is, of doing this it. This yeah. is how they defend and this is how we can attack and go and practice it. And, you know, but it's not fake belief. I'm not trying to sell something to them. I honestly believe we can do it. And when we train against our Knights, and, and, and they'll defend like Australia. We actually practice exactly the things I've, I've just been showing on video. Listen, we're almost out of time, um, but there's just a couple of things I want to pick up on. I, I've found this conversation fascinating. So first of all, I know you two are friends. So Damien, thanks for organising it. And oh no, it's been a treat. Thanks. thanks um, there's a really nice quote from a guy called Inky Johnson, who was an American football player, a college player, and he was one game away from making it into the NFL. And he came not dissimilar to you from a really difficult upbringing. And he had decided that he was going to make it to the NFL for his family. And in the final game, he took a tackle, a really bad tackle, and it paralysed him down his left-hand side. And he laid there and he simply couldn't believe that one game from achieving a multi-million dollar contract and changing his whole family's life was taken away from him. But he's gone on to be an inspirational speaker and a leader. And the phrase he uses is, impose your will. And I just think it's such a powerful phrase because it doesn't matter whether you're trying to win huge games in rugby league, whether you're trying to run a business, whether you're trying to find your dream job, whether you're trying to be a better parent, whether you're just trying to live the life that will put a smile on your face, impose your will is almost the single most important thing you can do. And it just strikes me, Sean, that right from the day that you made the decision to leave home or you were thrown out and you went off and did your thing, you've imposed your will on every little part of your life. Yeah. It makes sense. I appreciate that. It makes total sense to me. I but, get it. But my issue is, if it doesn't make you happy, what's the point? Yeah, to, to be honest, Jake, I don't sit there, you know, I sit there the day after I'm fine and I have a beer and I enjoy it. But my passion is planning on what's next and winning more. You can be happy... And you will experience happiness, but not satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do enjoy it. You know, me and my wife travel to France for three weeks. We just want to double and we have a glass of wine and I sit back and we want to double, you know. You know, but then when I'm driving down the road, I will be thinking about a training camp and different ways of playing. It's just never, ever switching off. And that's a relentless attitude, which, you know, many, many coaches will have that sort of attitude. But they don't switch off. And I think that um, whatever 
walk of life people are in, a relentless attitude, imposing your will, getting what you want out of this life is, um, is something that everyone can do more of probably. Yeah, and I've always wanted my teams, my staff, us to be different. Don't be the same as anybody else. Dress better. Go on at the coach, what we travel on is the best coach there is available. So it's making sure that we, um, the players understand that I get the best coach, but we have to look after it. You know, when we get off, I want to clean, you know, I'm 55, I tied up after myself. I want that coach company saying they're a great sporting organisation, they look after everything. And we've had that said, but I think if you nail that sort of thing, the detail you want on a field to win a, tr a cup, that's what you get. You know, you can't, the both don't work, you can be sloppy off the field and, and nail your detail on the field, it doesn't work and, and that's what was so important to me. Yeah, those small things do matter. Yeah. So we, we're going to ask you some quick questions now, Sean, that yeah. we normally finish all the podcasts with. Um, so what advice would you give a teenage chain just starting out? Work harder than anybody else. Yeah, work harder than... Nobody can accuse you of not working, your work ethic not being there. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that everyone around you has to buy into? Look to improve. Be a good bloke and look after your craft. You know, look after, give yourself your best shot. Don't have days off. Look to improve. Look after what you're good at. Love it. So we've touched on this briefly, but are you happy? Yeah, very. I love my family. I love my job. It's very, very, very sad what's happening. But we have to make the best of it and that's what I'm doing. Very good. How important is legacy to you? Yeah, not, it's not a driving factor. I don't give it any thought. I just, I just want to be able to see a player in 20 years' time and he's glad he's met me. If, if, if I can have that effect on a player where he'll see me in a pub and he, he's, he's glad he's, he's been coached by me and he's met me, that'll, that'll do me. And one golden rule to live a high-performance life? It's all in the detail. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for being part of the High Performance Podcast. Just sitting and chatting for these few minutes, I'm now completely of the opinion we're going to be the world champions before long. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've done it for us, I'm sure you'll do it for your New England players. Yeah, no worries. Sorry about hitting your table in your microphone. <laughs> I get a bit animated. Listen, it's all about learning, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Damien. Jake. Um, I said it a few times while we were talking to him, but it, the relentlessness was what got me. I mean, he clearly, he clearly is someone who has made a decision that he is, he wants to live the life he wants, which is to go for something and go for it completely. And I'm just wondering where he gets his, his sort of energy from. It's a fascinating topic that came up with him. And, um, I think having seen his club at Wigan, where he, I love that phrase you used about imposing his will. The club was very much in his image. It was very much about this idea, we don't settle, we keep going again and again and again. But I sense that this idea of Kaizen, he, he loves the process, he loves this continuous improvement. That's when he's happiest, planning, plotting and projecting ahead. And when he says never be happy, I think that happy in the sense that we see it, I think he probably is. I think what he does mean is never be satisfied. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. I think a lot of people get caught up in this idea of, this outcome happiness that when I achieve a certain amount of money, when I live in a certain house, when I achieve winning a grand final, that's when I'll be happy. And I think what he's making the point of is 
enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, enjoy the, the, the struggles, the difficulties, the, the milestones along the way is when he's at his happiest. And I think that's a really powerful lesson for anyone listening to this. It's not about the outcome, it's about the journey where real happiness lies. And also making sure that whatever happens, you you start that journey. If you haven't done it before, don't make any more excuses. You have to begin it at some point. And I think that there are people that will be listening to this and they will go, God, that was a brilliant conversation. That was really inspirational. That guy really has, you know, imposed his will on his life and, and, and he's done great things right now. <sighs> back to not living the life that I want. Well, instead of the last bit being back to not living the life I want, maybe listen to this podcast, listen to it again and say, right, that is now going to be me because just because it's him, why can't it be someone listening to this? Why can't you impose your will? Why can't you listening to this be relentless? Why can't you live the life you want? Because do you know what? It's a bit like the conversation you had with Stephen Bartlett when yeah. you said to him, where do you get the belief from to do all this? He says, well, I just believe I can. And it's exactly the same. All these people have this belief that A, they can do it. So B, might as well go and do it. Yeah. So you've got to get the belief. Just believe you can and you will. Yeah, well, it, it's often called Orr's Law. So the thinker thinks, the prover proves. And it's this idea of if you think you're capable of living a better life than you are doing, you'll find the evidence to do so. If you don't think you're capable of it, you'll find the evidence to prove you right there as well. So there you go. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I could never live a high-performance life like and you're probably right because by thinking you can't you won't whereas if you just change that mindset right now while listening to this to yeah i can then you probably will thanks damien thanks jake well as usual at the end of the episode damien and i come together we re reflect and we read out some of the messages that we've had from you for the past week but before we get to the messages can i just say thanks to you damien because i know that Sean is a long-term friend of yours and it was you that got him onto the podcast and man I mean we recorded that in that hotel room in Manchester in hotel football and the whole time we were sitting there I was like where is this stuff coming from I'd never had a conversation like that in my life man yeah he's a great guy Sean and uh and what I've always admired him even from afar is that he he, he sort of creates a culture in his own image so they're tough they're obdurate but actually there's a heart um that lies within all of the cultures and the teams that he works with so i know he'll be a great success with the england rugby league guys as well uh, and i'm excited to watch him it's so interesting isn't it that you talk about him sort of living in this tough male macho environment of rugby league and like i honestly think that if i had a tear on my eye he'd be the guy that would come over and give me a cuddle you know? Yeah, I think that's often something that really sort of blindsides a lot of people, that you go into these environments and you've got the perception that they're going to be tough alphas that are sort of don't brook any nonsense. And yet at the heart of all high-performing cultures, there's a real heart that beats quite strongly at it where vulnerability is a key theme for them, where they're happy to embrace vulnerability. Yeah, um, And I think that that can often surprise people that haven't been around these kind of environments. Listen, let's just dive into a few of the questions on here. And by the way, thanks to everyone um, for sending questions over the week. And 
I can't tell you enough how much the feedback for the pods lights up the day for Damien and I because it's you know we record these and we put them out and we, you know we don't see you so for you to come back to us with your thoughts and your comments and stuff it means so much to us here's an interesting question actually from Simon Rodley he got in touch to say how important do we think cognitive diversity is within a team or a group research suggests a largely positive impact so why do we often not see as much of it in some elite sports or indeed in high level businesses I mean I I'll be totally frank. I think cognitive diversity, without really me knowing it, was one of the reasons why I got you involved, Damien, because I sort of see the world, I think, from a viewpoint over here, and then you look at it from a different point over here. And I think that's one of the things I love about the conversations we have is that we're looking at them from almost polar opposites. Yeah, I think, and, and I think that's where the strength of cognitive diversity comes from, that that if you go and speak to somebody, say like if you were going to book a seat on an aeroplane and you spoke to somebody that was six foot four tall, they would talk about their priority was extra leg room. If you spoke to somebody travelling with children, it might be entertainment and how many TV channels you can get. So we all see the world from our own individual perspectives. And I think but the more of those perspectives you can bring in, the more of you, that you get a rounded, uh, fuller picture of it. And I think that's what we work well together in terms of the way that we that we can come at our interviewers from different perspectives and ask them things that hopefully gives the listener a more rounded picture of them. Yeah, and I, what I would add to that for you at home is that Damien put up a great quote on his, um, on his Instagram account. You can find him at Liquid Thinker. And it, it just said, Ask a question of everyone you meet because everyone knows something that you don't know. And actually, you can kind of create, I think, Damien, your own mini world of cognitive diversity, almost in your own brain, by just feeding and plugging in and basically listening to everything that people around you have got to say. 100%. I think everybody's got a story. Everybody's got something they can teach us. And I think if you come at it with that open-mindedness of being prepared to have your own perceptions challenged. I mean, go back to the Sean example that we've just listened to. People might hear this gruff speaking Northern bloke and have a perception right away of what the value is. And then you hear him talk about his own childhood or the way that that's influenced his coaching. Suddenly you realise that there's a real rich story there that that we can all learn from. Brilliant. Uh, Tony Fretwell said, my take homes from this high performance podcast are, and he's talking about the Chris Hoy episode, be on time. Chris was very hot on that. Never ignore psychological training. And one that is my favourite. I don't know which of these three is your favourite, Damien. My favourite of the three. No excuses. <laughs> yeah, no, again, I agree with all of them. I think I think the psychological training one was an interesting one for a lot of people because I think we often get caught up in, if you think of high performance in four pillars, physical, tactical, technical, and mental, I think the first three are evident, but the mental side of it, of being able to perform under pressure, is a skill, and Chris described it in that way, and, and I think that all of us can learn from it. Thank you, Jody, who said, just listen to the High Performance Podcast, an exceptional athlete talking about Dina Rasha-Smith. Her positive mindset is infectious. And Justy one Rice agreed with that. Great mindset. If you're in my lane, I will run through you, which 
Dina should, Dina should have that tattooed on her arm or something, just as a message to the people around them. Um, we had a nice one as well from Just Wearing Chris 2. Said, I've just listened to the podcast with Chris Hoy, Jake Humphrey and Damien Hughes. One word, brilliant. Such a humble bloke who worked his socks off to get where he has. Very true, though. Mindset is everything. And it is an, is an interesting uh, question that's come in. This is from Lee Webster. Said, I've just listened to your podcast with Stephen Bartlett. By the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that we've recorded some of these like months and months ago and they're still they're still new to people i like that yeah definitely i think i think i think that's why somebody asked us about why don't don't we mention say covid and some of the things but i like the idea that they're timeless that you can go hopefully in years to come and listen to them well i i'm I'm totally with you on that i i hope that these conversations are as relevant in 20 25 30 years as they are today but the question that came in from lee was um your podcast made me think if you were not doing the job you have now what would it be (laughs) <laughs> oh wow it's a good question do you know what i i don't know i wanted to be a journalist when i was at school um it never happened because i failed my a levels and so i ended up taking the sort of second grade option of being a tv presenter um but i do think that as long as i know what i know now i would be doing whatever job it is i want to do do you not does that make sense yeah yeah because of how much my 100%. mind's been opened up to stuff yeah but i think like even in terms of your story jake that i think when people say well what would you be doing well you were doing it when you weren't getting paid for it you know what I mean you were doing it you were volunteering when you were 17 and giving your time up so it wasn't a job for you then but you were still going and pursuing a passion and I think there's something around that that a job isn't necessarily something you get paid for it's a passion that you go and pursue go on then what would yours be Again, I'd go back. Um, I'd, uh, my wife says I'm a secret geek, so I just love uh, reading, researching, and writing. So uh, I'd just be finding a way of doing that in some in some form. Yeah, I'm afraid to say you're not a secret geek. You're just um, uh, just a geek. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, thanks to Craig, thanks to Chris, thanks to Matt, thanks to Jody, Justin, another Chris, GMM Johnson, Cy Rodley, and the hundreds of other people who are sending in their thoughts and their comments. What really lifts us up is when we hear that these podcasts are helping you. And I just want to finish with this comment from N Humphrey, double four, double six, saying, thank you for the high performance podcast. I struggle to remain positive in a world filled with negativity and almost everywhere you look. And your podcast has helped me massively. There are still the odd days, but these are less frequent now. Keep up the good work. I mean, that is, that's everything right for us, Damien. Brilliant. Yeah, the fact that it can make a difference is really humbling. Well, listen, thank you, Damien. I'll see you as always, 8 o'clock live on Instagram Sunday evening for our little chat. Looking forward to it. I'll try not to be drinking cider this week. Um, (laughs) You can find Damien on Instagram at Liquid Thinker. You can follow at High Performance on Instagram as well or at Jake Comfrey. Don't forget we have a YouTube channel as well. Hundreds of thousands of views on there, so check those out. Thanks so much to Tom Griffin at Rethink Audio for his hard work and all of the team behind the scenes helping us to create the High Performance podcast. Have a great few days, Damien. You too, Jake. And I hope that you all really enjoyed this week's podcast with the amazing Sean Wayne. There's plenty more still to come in Series 2. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.